Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? I hope you're doing well. Welcome also to those of you tuning in online. We're in this series called Surviving to Thriving. Anybody want to thrive this morning? All right. All right. Let's uh, learn how to do that together this morning. Wow. This last week has been just all about storms, hasn't it? Storm after storm after storm. Uh, Caleb and I, last night, were out in the yard uh, just having some fun playing together. And how quickly the skies went from blue to dark and the storm rolled in and we got poured on before we could get into the house. Storms come up really, really, really quick. You know, when it comes to tropical storms and hurricanes, I was uh, learning this week And you may be interested to know that in 1953, the U.S. began using female names for storms. I I didn't even get to the punchline yet. Wow. I'm not sure whose idea that was. Okay, I'll say it. But if I had to guess, it was a guy, it was a dude that had a bad marriage. There, I said it. Okay. He decided it would be good to name storms after females. Uh, But in 1978, we began using male and female names. Uh, You may also be interested, it may be interesting to to know that uh, there's a list that's used on a six-year rotation. Did you know that? For storms, they reuse storm names every six years with the exception of if there's a particularly bad storm that was very deadly or very costly, they don't ever use that name um, again. And the truth of the matter is, some of you could name a storm that you are in right now. And if you had to name the storm that you're in, maybe you would name it parenting. Maybe you would name it cancer. Maybe you would name it death of a loved one. Or maybe you'd name it debt, financial struggle. Maybe you would name it divorce or relational uh, battles and struggles that you are, are in. And truth be told, the storms are so bad in your life and so furious in your life that you hope that the storm blows over and you never want to bring the name of that storm up again because it's been so damaging to you. It's been so hard and costly for you. Here's the reality that I want to, I want to tell you this morning. You're either in a storm right now you are getting ready to go into a storm or you're just coming out of a storm. That's true for every single one of us. It's not super encouraging. I know that, but hopefully you'll be encouraged as we continue on um, this morning talking about peace. We want to talk today about the fruit of the Spirit, peace. And uh, Bobby Blue, uh, if you remember a couple of weeks back, we brought him out and he helped preach the message. And we learned some really important things about the Christian life and the Christian journey that we're in. See, we know and we've learned that before Christ, uh, we were ruled by the presence of sin in our lives and our flesh just controlled everything that we did. And we couldn't do nothing else uh, but sin 
prior to Jesus intersecting our life and saving us and redeeming us. And the result of that is we were all a slave to sin. We were all in bondage to the power of sin in our lives. And we know that uh, the result of that uh, is, is death. It's, it's the punishment that you and I deserve for the sin uh, in our life. But thankfully, Jesus rescued us. And we have a relationship with, with Jesus. And the moment that uh, our heart was regenerated by Jesus, we've been given a gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and lives in us and changes our lives from the inside out. See, we now have the presence of Christ living inside of us. So the result of that is we are now called a different name. We're no longer a slave to the power of sin. Now we have a new identity. We are now sons and daughters. We're children. Our identity is now in Christ. And the result of that is we have this rich relationship with God and we have what we would say life and we would say abundant life found in Jesus. But what we also learned a couple of weeks ago is that even though we're no longer a slave to sin, even though the power of sin has been broken in our lives, sin no longer has mastery over us and no longer is our punishment for sin death because Jesus took care of that once and for all we still are left with the presence of sin in our lives. And we still have a choice to, to make every single day. And that choice starts right up here in our minds. See, we can set our mind on what the flesh desires or every single day we can wake up and we can be in tune with our relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit abiding in our lives and we can make a choice to yield to the Holy Spirit. We can set our mind on what the Spirit desires. And we've been learning that when we do that, that there is fruit that begins to pop up in our lives. And it's not fruit that is willed by Mike or you. You're not that good. I'm not that good. We can't will this fruit to come about in our lives. It's a work of the Spirit in our lives as we yield to the Holy Spirit. And today I want to talk to you about the fruit we call Peace. See, peace is a byproduct of abiding in Jesus. Peace is a byproduct of abiding in Jesus. It's a confidence. It's a confidence in who God is, and it's trusting his authority in our lives. When we do that, when we abide in Jesus, we lock arms with him. We lean into his spirit and what his spirit wants to do in our lives. We have peace. And I want you to know something about peace. See, we often define peace as the absence of a struggle or the absence of a storm, right? Like when this storm blows over, when this struggle passes, then I will have peace. But see, that's not peace at all. That's not peace at all. Peace is not when the storm blows over. See, peace is the presence of God while the storm is raging. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference there. And um, I, I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to look at a story today where there was a storm. And uh, we're going to learn at, at how, how God 
desires to cultivate this fruit of the Spirit in our lives known as peace as we depend on Him. So turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're going to read together beginning at verse 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4. We're going to read together verses 35 to 41. So when you find that, go ahead and stand up on your feet in honor of the reading of God's Word. And let's read this out loud together. Verse 35, let's read this. It says this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You may have a seat. See, the disciples found themselves in the middle of a test. In the middle of a test. See, the disciples had been around Jesus and uh, have followed Jesus everywhere he went and he had heard sermon after sermon being preached by Jesus hundreds of times. And if you asked any of the disciples to preach the sermon that they heard Jesus preaching, they probably would be able to do that. They probably would be able to give word-for-word sermon uh, the words that Jesus teach because they had been immersed in Jesus' teaching uh, just over and over and over, and they had seen Jesus perform miracles and, and cause the blind to see and and uh, just incredible, incredible things. And they had been immersed around Jesus and, and, and with him 24-7. And now it's time for them to be tested. It's time to see if uh, what they've learned is going to bear fruit in their lives. And see, it's one thing to gather information about something, right, than it is to apply the information that you've learned. Like you and I, if you're like me, I'm like a master YouTube technician. I, I, I love watching YouTube videos on how to fix stuff. And so I watch the video and I, I study the video and I, I get an idea in my mind how it's going to go, but it never fails when I go out to actually do the work that I learn in the video. It never goes like I planned it because uh, it's a different game when I'm applying information as it is from learning information. And what I want you to know this morning is that Jesus isn't as interested in the information we know about him as he is in the application of his word in our lives. See, he's not as interested in all of the information that we jam in our three-pound brain on the top of our head as he is 
in the application, us living out what we've learned through our daily lives. I used to have a supervisor that worked under me in my previous career, and her name was Yvette. And Yvette was a feisty, uh, small little lady, but man, her size uh, was made up in how she carried herself and commanded herself and, 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 and led others. Small little black lady named Yvette. And she worked in a store in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And uh, she was so good at leading people and she was so good at teaching people that I would send brand new supervisors that I just hired to Yvette so that she could train them because I know that she would just train them really super well. And Yvette always said the same thing. She had this funny saying. She would begin to explain something to someone and uh, talk about how something was to be done. And then she would just not be able to get the words out. Like she would, she would have a hard time articulating what she was trying to say and she would just stop. And she would just say, oh, come on, I can show you better than I can tell you. I can show you better than I can tell you. What if as followers of Christ, we could say, I could show you better than I could tell you. I could show you better than I could tell you. See, Jesus isn't as interested in the information we know about him. It's important. We need to learn as much as we can and apply ourselves to understanding. But he's more interested in the application of his word in our lives. And the disciples were about to be tested to see if the information could translate to the application. And any student knows teaching always leads to testing. The purpose of a test is to demonstrate mastery of a subject or a skill and to reveal areas needing improvement. As a student, I hated tests. I just hated tests. I didn't do well on tests. And um, I would resort to any means possible to be able to pass a test. Yes, even resorted in cheating if I had to. And I remember... First period Spanish class. I sat in the first row, last seat, first period Spanish class. And um, it was test day. And the teacher passed test down the aisle, gave, a, gave the first student in the, in the, in, on the desk uh, a stack of tests. They were supposed to pass them back, right? And the tests come back to me. I'm in the last in the row. And I realized that this, the teacher passed an extra test. And it's first period. And my brain started connecting the dots. Wow, this could be useful to other students who may not like tests as well. And so rather than passing the test up front, I folded it up and tucked it neatly in my textbook. And the minute class was over, even though I bombed the test, other students shouldn't have, you know, they shouldn't have to bomb the test. And so I snuck into the copy machine room I know, I was, I was a pastor's kid. <laughs> Snuck into the copy machine room and I made 10 copies. And that ten, those 10 copies turned into $50 by like period three. I was a budding entrepreneur and I was proud of my achievement. To my surprise, uh, 
To my surprise, though, I, uh, when I got called to the principal's office a few periods later, uh, my great side hustle, um, you know, just kind of went down the tubes. It turns out that some idiot filled the test out in be- before the class and turned the test in like right out of the way, right, right when the teacher passed out the test. And the teacher uh, caught on right away, and he went to the principal's office, and he betrayed me with 30 pieces of silver, (laughs) turned me into the governing authorities, and I was rewarded with a suspension for all my hard work and creativity. (laughs) And see, here's what we need to understand. We can't cheat our way into passing the test that God has for us. We, We can't cheat... Our, our way, um, we, we need to take the test. We can't buy our way to greater faith. See, God loves you too much to not see you go where he wants you to go. Testing is never comfortable, but it's crucial for revealing and for shaping who we are and helping us place our identity in Jesus. Let's look at verse 35 again, Mark chapter 4. It says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, so this is Jesus's idea, he says to his disciples, let us go over, what's it say? Where are they going? Say it with me. To the other side. Jesus suggested that they go to the other side. Now, it might be helpful to think of this testing that we go through in life as going to the other side. Uh, So the other side of good health is illness. It's getting a report from the doctor you didn't expect. The other side of the honeymoon is a broken relationship. It's discovering surprises in the person uh, that you didn't know you were marrying into. It's the other, see, the other side of emotional and mental health is depression and anxiety. The other side of financial stability is, is oppressive debt and overdue bills that weigh us down. See, the other side of having someone that you love dearly in your life and having to say, goodbye to them unexpectedly as they pass away from this life to the next. See, there are these other side moments, um, and they are what put our faith to the test, aren't they? These other side moments. Look at verse 36 with me. It says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, they took Jesus along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So they were going across to the other side. Uh, They were in a boat. There was a convoy of other boats with them. And look what happened next. What what happened? A what? A, A furious what? Furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And so try to picture this scene. They're thinking they're with Jesus and they're going to be safe and they're going to go across the other side and do the good work that that God has prepared for them to do. And out of nowhere, nowhere, a furious squall pops up and it came quick and the skies grew dark and, and water starts pounding, the waves start pounding, the wind starts rocking the boat back and forth. It was a furious squall. 
It was a furious squall. Water begun, begins to rise up to the boat. I would imagine the disciples are falling over, can't maintain their, their, their footing, and uh, they are scared. They are really scared. And maybe today you would describe your financial struggle, your relational struggle, your medical situation that you were going through as a furious storm. And you feel the waves pounding you relentlessly. And as a result, you feel swamped. You feel like your boat is filling up with water really quick and it looks really, really grim. Look at verse 38. Jesus, he was in the stern and what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping on a cushion. Are you kidding me? Are, are, you, are you serious, Jesus? The disciples woke him and they said to him, look at what they said. They said, teacher, don't you what? What's the word? Don't you care if we drown? Have you ever felt like that? Honestly, I know I have. I, I felt that way before. That God, did, does he really care about what I'm going through, it seems like Jesus is asleep when this storm is just raging in my life and it doesn't seem like he's there. It doesn't seem like he cares. God, where are you? God, I've been praying for a breakthrough. I've been praying for an answer to come. But the storm keeps rocking the boat. The waves keep coming over the boat. And, and we think that somehow God is caught off guard with our storm when we're in the middle of a storm. That's what it feels like at times. That's what it feels like. And the disciples are just terrified. And for good reason. See, I don't think that the disciples are overreacting here. And, and I would say this as well to your situation. I don't ever want to minimize the storm that you are going through in your life. Storms are real, and storms are really hard. They're really hard. And some of you are, are battling the storm, and, and, and we just say we recognize the storm that you're in. Like, we know it's hard. We know it's difficult. And so I don't think that the disciples are overreacting here. Many of them are seasoned fishermen. They know storms. They're accustomed to storms. Uh, but, but this storm was different. See, they, they recognized the gravity of the situation they were in. Meanwhile, Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Now, I don't know how in the world Jesus is sleeping in the boat. It's, uh, I, and I have a, a question to ask. How many of you in the storms this past week, honest question, this is your chance to elbow your spouse next to you. How many would say, my, my spouse didn't even wake up in the middle of that storm? Uh, a few of you, yeah, some of you are really sound sleepers and you're able to, to sleep just like Jesus was. But, but here's why Jesus was asleep. See, it's amazing how sound you can sleep without any presence of fear. It's amazing how sound you can sleep at night when there's no presence of fear. The disciples are freaking out in fear. 
And Jesus is taking a siesta under the stern. So we're, we're not surprised at how the disciples responded and reacted to the storm. However, we should be surprised at their response to Jesus because it, it, reveals, it reveals some weakness in their faith. See, this test exposed some of the areas of their life where the living out of their faith wasn't lining up with what they had learned about God. And I think it's interesting that the disciples, when they woke Jesus up, they referred to him as teacher. I find that interesting because they didn't refer to him as Lord. See, Lord carries a, a whole different meaning than teacher, right? Lord implies that you're sovereign, you're in control. Teacher implies that you're a good teacher, that you're good at giving me information that I need. And I think when it comes to our own lives as followers of Christ, I wonder if we refer to Jesus more as teacher than we do as Lord, the sovereign one who is in control. See, storms reveal where you have not given up control. Ouch, I know, hurts me too, but it's true, right? Storms reveal where you have yet to give up control in your life. Storms reveal misplaced identities, where we've misplaced our identities. It reveals misplaced priorities. It reveals misplaced perspective. And the disciples ask Jesus, don't you care if we drown? See, they translated Jesus' silence or his sleeping as him not caring about their lives. In other words, they had a plan in their mind for God and how he was going to get them to the other side. And God was not following the plan that they had him, uh, that, that they had for him. And how many times do, do we have a plan for God and how life should go and how our marriage should go? in how our job should go, in how our kids, you know, should, should grow up. And, uh, and we have this plan all figured out, and we think in our minds that, that if, we, if we, you know, do our best to, to live out God's will for our lives, and we pray that, that there's not going to be any storms, that God is just going to kind of follow our plans. But see, now... They're faced with a situation that wasn't part of their plan. Look at verse 39. What did Jesus do? Jesus, he, he got up. It says, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, what are the three words that he, that he said to the waves? Let's say it together. He said what? He said, quiet, be still. Let's say that again really loud. He said, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. And it was completely calm. See, Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves like a parent reprimands a toddler who is throwing a temper tantrum. Only the wind and the waves obeyed. And then Jesus asked two penetrating 
penetrating questions. He said to his disciples, look at verse 40. He says to his disciples the first question, why are you so afraid? Isn't that a strange question to ask men who are in danger of losing their lives? I mean, just a moment earlier, they're tossing about in a boat which was filling rapidly with water in the midst of this raging storm with no hope of help. Why shouldn't they be afraid? Yet Jesus asked them, why are you afraid? We get more clarity at what he was getting at when he puts his finger on the reason with the second question. Look at the second question in verse 40. Do you still have no what? Faith. See, this is why we become afraid. This is why people become afraid because they lose faith. Faith is the answer to fear. See, faith is always the answer to our fears, regardless of what the fears are. See, faith turns our hearts away from the presence of the storm and onto the presence of God in the midst of the storm. That's what faith does. Now, if you stop and think and kind of re-engineer, maybe have kind of a different alternate ending to the story, what would these men have done? How do you think they might have acted differently if they had faith? Suppose their faith had been strong, and in that moment when the storm was coming, what they knew about God was applied to their life with faith. What would have been different? What would they have done knowing who was in the boat with them? Well, one thing I think is certain, they wouldn't have awakened Jesus. They wouldn't have woken him up. They would have let him rest. They would have done so because their faith would have reminded them of two great facts. One, that the boat wasn't going to sink. The boat wasn't going to sink. It cannot sink when the master of the ocean and the earth and the sky is in the boat with you. Number two, it would have reminded them that the storm will not last forever. I take my cues from people who are more um, knowledgeable about something than I am. And so, went fishing um, in Florida, a deep sea fishing excursion, and uh, the captain of the boat took us out, and he told us it was going to be rough. He told us that it was going to be a rough ride out, but coming back, it was going to be a little more peaceful, and it wasn't going to be as rough. And so we started going out, and he full throttled it, and we are just bouncing and pounding, and I'm holding on. But what I was doing is I was watching the expression of the captain, because I'm not going to freak out unless he starts freaking out. Right? Right? And so here are the disciples. Picture this. They're in the boat. Jesus is sleeping. So obviously, Jesus isn't worried about this storm, right? Uh, but, but, but they were in that moment. Fear gave way. And I want to encourage you this morning with the same reality of your storm. The same reality. Some of you are in some intense, intense storms. And again, we don't minimize your storm. It's really, really hard. But I want to encourage you with two, two realities. Number one, your boat 
will not sink and the storm will not last forever. Weather the storm. Weather the storm. Knowing that the master of the wind and the waves is with you. His presence is with you. And so I want to tell you this morning, those whose faith are rattled by the storm that you're going through, the medical storm, the relational storm, the financial storm, the storm of anxiety that's just oppression, depression that's weighing heavy on your life. The boat will not sink and the storm will not last forever. And listen to me, it's not because we have confidence in the boat. It's not because we have confidence in the boat. It's because of the one who is in the boat with you. That's why we have confidence that you're going to get through the storm that you're in. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. This last week, I sat with a family who was sitting in the hospital with their mom and their wife um, and their sister who was dying um, in the hospital. And um, she was placed in a hospice room and, and there, was, there was no hope that she would live. And uh, as I was sitting with the family, trying to encourage them and trying to, to offer them hope, we, we looked to God's word and, and uh, I read Psalm 46, uh, which is just so, such a, a powerful, powerful uh, passage of scripture that talks about God in the midst of, of the storms. And uh, verses one through three, it says this, it says, God is our refuge. He's our refuge. He's our, our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And then it says this, it says, therefore, because God's in the boat, we will not fear though the earth give way. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is with you. I, I don't know the storm and how severe it is in your, in your life, but I know for some of you, man, the waves are just pounding you big time. And the water feels like it's like right up to here. And the boat feels like it's going to capsize and it's going to start to break away. And I, and I want you to know that God is with you. See, he's in the boat with you. Look at the disciples' response <clears throat> in verse 41. See, see, Jesus spoke to the storm and it quieted in an instant. And look at the disciples' response in verse 41. It says that they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, they had seen Jesus do incredible things already before this storm. But see, God was taking them to a different level of faith. 
He was teaching them who's in control of the wind and the waves. And I I wonder what God is teaching you in the midst of your storm right now. See, God is always using the storms in our life to reveal more of his goodness, more of his character to us. But we have to endure the storm. We have to cling to him. We have to recognize who is in the boat with you. See, God was growing and he was preparing and he was cultivating the disciples' faith for a future assignment. See, there would be a more bigger test than this that the disciples would have to go through. It wouldn't be long before the arrest, the crucifixion of Jesus. It wouldn't be long before Jesus had to die on the cross. Thankfully, he rose from the dead and he, 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 he is victorious, right? But, but he was leaving the disciples with a big task ahead of them. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to tell people about me. And, and see, Jesus knew that they had to go through this storm so they could see a bigger picture. And, and so before the storm, they're terrified. After the storm, they're even, or after, after Jesus calms the storm, they're even more terrified They have a bigger picture of who God is. See, that's what God wants to do in the midst of your storm. He wants to give you a bigger picture of who he is. He wants wants you to come out the other side with, with even greater confidence in who God is. See, the sovereign God is in the process of preparing you for your next assignment. I love James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 through 4, it says this. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith. See, going to the other side, the testing, the storms that you need to endure, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, God wants to do a work in you that he often cannot accomplish any other way than through a storm. God loves you so much and wants to do a work in you that he knows the storm that you need at, right the, at, at just the right moment. He knows exactly what you need. And oftentimes, he, he, he cannot accomplish this any other way than through a storm. If you talk to anyone who has a, a, an amazing, incredible, vibrant relationship with God that's gone through an amazing, incredible, terrifying storm in their life, and you ask them, if they would like to do that again, they would tell you no. (laughs) But they would also say, I wouldn't trade it. I I wouldn't trade it because what God did in me was so powerful. And he knows exactly what you need. God wants to do a work in you that he often cannot accomplish any other way than through a storm. Remember, peace is not when the storm blows over. Peace is the presence of God while the storm is raging. And see, we don't need to wait until the storm passes to declare victory in our storm. You can, you can 
Celebrate in the victory of who God is in the midst of the storm. Isn't that a beautiful thing? When you can see someone just going through the ravages of a storm, yet they proclaim the name of God boldly and his presence and his power in their life. In just a couple of moments, we're going to sing a song, and it's a powerful song that I learned this week. It's a brand new song. But the song is called Singing in the Victory, Singing in the Victory. And it, it's, it's a song that is the message. It was a God thing, too. Uh, I had shared with Pastor Tannen uh, the message that I was going to, to speak, and, and he texted me a little later in the day with this song. He said, oh, my goodness, I just heard this song, and it's your message. You may want to listen to it. You may want, you may want to think about playing this song Let's sing this song. And, and so I listened to it. I was like, oh, my goodness. This is it. This is it. Peace isn't, isn't when the storm blows over. It's the presence of God when the storm is raging. So this song is a declaration for you, particularly those of you who are in the middle of a storm right now. I pray that this song would, would be such an encouragement to you as we declare the victory that we have because of Jesus because Jesus is in the boat with us. We can sing in the victory. Lord, would you do a work in our hearts? It's so hard. Storms are difficult, Lord, and I know there are many, many, many in this room that are struggling through the storm right now. Lord, I pray that you would do so something, something so beautiful in them that you can never do any other way, that you would be close Lord, that you would give them the faith to be able to sing the victory before they actually see the outplay of that victory in their life. Lord, you're such a good God. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.